This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 63, Laziness. I am Hal Hammonds and I am a citizen of heaven and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Here's what I have for you this week. I've been preaching about lazy parents. We can't discipline our children if we aren't disciplined ourselves. I've been reading lazy accusations against my brethren. It's hateful, it's prideful, and it's tearing apart the body of Christ. I've been hearing lazy preachers fitting themselves at the expense of the flock. I'm looking hard in the mirror in this one. I've been playing Silver and Gold, a fun filler game that might have been a staple in the Hammond's house if the designers had tried a little bit harder. Let's start with what I've been preaching. All right, to begin with, maybe I ought to clarify a little bit. I have not been lately or at any other time, really, in my preaching career standing in the pulpit and calling parents literally lazy. I'm a little bit more nuanced than that. I'm a little bit more wise than that, if I may flatter myself a little bit. That's not a very effective way of dealing with people, I don't think. But the message comes across. I believe it's intended to come across, not in a rude way, but in a pointed way sometimes, because this is a critical issue, something that we are wrestling with and something that is having a demonstrable and long-term impact on the body of Christ. And I don't know what particular aspect of our society that I need to point to to assign the majority of the blame. I'm not sure that that would be all that effective or accurate. I will say this, that in our battles to effectively serve as citizens of our community, citizens of the world, oftentimes our citizenship in heaven has to take a back seat. And I say has to, what I mean by that is we allow ourselves to do this. And it impacts our own faith and it impacts the faith of our children. And when we as halfway Christians become shocked and amazed when our children reject Jesus Christ entirely, we think somehow or another the process has failed on their level, but it didn't. It failed on our level. It's lazy parenting. We need to work our, harder at this than we do at anything else that we do. Souls are literally in our charge here. And without, I'm not going to pick on working women here too much. I, I'm not trying to suggest that that mothers are the problem, and the problem is you just love too money. You love money too much. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I am saying it's something that we need to look at. Because when we have two parent incomes, when we bring two incomes into the house and we don't have someone in the house with the children, I'm not just talking about little bitty kids either. I'm talking about children in general, those who are assigned to our care. When we're too tired from our work, work, quote unquote, earning money to effectively do our real job, our job of parenting, and this goes for fathers too, by the way then we are letting our children down. And they aren't going to complain about it because they get to watch more TV that way. That's Or whatever it is the kids are watching these days, YouTube or Netflix or whatever it happens to be. The same thing goes for fathers who work too hard. Fathers who work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Basically, at the end of the day, literally at the end of the calendar day, we are just too tired to parent our children. And so we wind up delegating our responsibilities off onto other people. Uh, We began by doing this with our children's schooling. And we gave ourselves a pass on that because we decided that that trained teachers were more effective at teaching our children than we were as parents, which very well may be true. And oftentimes is true. Certainly in certain specific areas, it's going to be true. 
But we just assume we don't have to schedule time in our day to teach our children about, about America or about science or about grammar or whatever it happens to be because the teachers are taking care of that. And if our children turn out to be knuckleheads and knotheads and dunces, we can blame the schools for that. When in fact, it wasn't the school's responsibility. It was our responsibility. Parents have been educating our, uh, their children as long as there have been drawings on cave walls. We've always been doing this, and we need to continue to do this. This is our responsibility. If the schools can help, great. I'm not advocating homeschooling here. I'm certainly not requiring homeschooling. What I'm saying is that we need to make sure our children are educated. And if that's the truth, then we certainly need to make sure that they're entertained properly. Left to themselves, we know what children will do. I'm not criticizing my children or any other particular children. I'm saying I once was a child. I know what children left to themselves will do. And I know that they need influence. They need guidance. We all do, but especially our children. And when we trust that whatever's coming through the boob tube is going to be proper entertainment, whatever they got on their little device or their watches or wherever it is that they're bringing in this, this stuff, if we don't monitor it, it's going to get nastier and nastier, worse and worse, and it's going to have a permanent effect, if we're not careful, on our children. And the same thing certainly is true with spiritual uh, education. Teaching our children about God, about the Bible, that is not the church's responsibility. That is not the preacher's responsibility. That's not the podcaster's responsibility. That is parents' responsibility. If these other people, if these other options can help, great. By all means, take advantage of whatever resources are at your disposal. And taking them to church services is the obvious one. You obviously need to do that. But when we do not engage directly with our children, we should not be surprised when our children don't turn out the way we want them to turn out. That's just natural. So I urge parents to participate in their children's lives, to take a role, to be active in all these areas and more besides, and to discipline the children. Make sure that they do not do the things that are bad for them. Your job as a parent is to say no 90% of the time. Your children will hate that and they may hate you. That doesn't mean it's not your job. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's not his fault that he's an, a dope. He was born that way. It's your job to fix him. It's your job to teach him and get him to be a better person, a more functioning person. So when he's an adult having his own children, he'll be able to function effectively. And please delight in your children. I, I cringe when I see parents complaining about how much time they have to spend with their children and how burdensome it is and how wonderful it was whacking and there were cute little cuddly kids and that's do not do that you are killing your kids morale doing that take true full joy in who your kids are right now I wouldn't go back six months six years or 16 years in my children's life to relive anything they've gone before as wonderful as those years were I delight in my children who they are right now and I urge you to do exactly the same if you love them where they are, who they are, when you are, then you're going to have a much better chance of being an effective parent. I promise you that. Anyway, that's what I've been preaching. This is what I've been reading. Well, this week I saw yet another uh Random accusation from somebody I've never heard of accusing Florida College of being racist. Let me preface my remarks before I get into this by saying I don't have a dog in the FC hunt. 
I, I don't care if you send your children to FC or not. It really doesn't make any difference. I didn't go. I didn't send my children. My wife did go. A lot of my friends did go. Uh, I have some, some questions. I have some uh, personal difficulties, that, personal challenges with regard to various things about it. But those are my problems. Those are my issues. I, I don't bind them on anybody else. You do what you want to do. If brethren want to join together and form a college, that's great. If brethren want to, to study the Bible together, that's absolutely fantastic. No problem at all with that. I, I have a problem when brethren are willing to accept the word of total strangers in a matter that disparages and condemns people that they know. They're brothers and sisters in Christ who they claim to love anyway. I don't want, if you want to have a discussion about the experience that you have had with racism or any other issue with regard to the brethren, if you want to tell me what has been done to you, what you have seen with your own two eyes, I'd be glad to listen to that. If you are someone who I know, particularly if you're just coming off the street, you want to tell me something, I don't know you from Adam, that might be a little bit different story. But if you are want to sharing, uh, you want to share your own personal experiences, I will be there for you. I, I want to hear that. I want to help. And I'm not suggesting that Florida College is not racist. I don't know. I haven't been there. I'm not in a position to say. I'm quite sure that of the whatever 10, 15, 20,000 uh, people who have been there over the last 20, 30, 40 years or whatever, I'm sure some of them are racist. I'm sure some of them acted like they were racist. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But if you want to tell me what someone else's experiences are, and in so doing, drag my friends through the mud, my brethren through the mud, I'll pass on that. I have no interest in listening to stories like that. That's secondhand, thirdhand, what, that's gossip is what that is. And the Bible condemns gossip. The Bible is opposed to that sort of thing. If you have personal knowledge of sin, and it doesn't have to be at this particular place, any place. If you have knowledge that sin is going on in the life of somebody that you know, get involved personally. Absolutely, get involved. But get involved directly. Talk to that person directly. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 talks about the one who, if he exposes a sin in, the, in his brother's life, he'll save that soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's what we want to do. We want to help people get past their sin problem. We're not covering sins in the sense that we're covering it up or pretending it doesn't exist. We are helping them into a state of grace. We're helping them into a state of forgiveness. That's a good thing. We don't want our brethren to be sinful. We want our brethren to be righteous. And if they are in a sinful state, we want to help get them out of that. And spreading rumors about them namelessly from a distance through social media or whatever, that's not going to help at all. We need to do better than that. I would also encourage you to be very careful about generalizing and I realize that generalizing is the way we talk. I've probably made some generalizations uh, since we've had this conversation right here. I'm sure that I've said some kind of general statement about a broad group of people. That's the way we talk. We can't really help that. It shortens things to simplifies things. But we need to be careful when we're doing this. And, and I think that in my lifetime, I've seen an improvement with regard to this in my own life and certainly in the lives of, of others as well, where we are less inclined to say, people of color act like this, or poor people act like this, or homosexuals act like this, or, or whatever. These broad swaths of humanity, and just tagging them with assumptions about the character, assumptions about their behavior, assumptions about whatever. That can be a very dangerous road to go down, and we need to watch out for that. 
simply saying that because someone is associated with this organization and this organization is associated with some random charge, that is going to throw a stigma on everybody in that group. And that's a very dangerous way to go about life. You don't want to be just throwing rocks randomly. You're going to hit people that you care about. You're going to hit people who are innocent. It's going to do far more damage than it's going to do good. We need to learn uh, more, more sympathy, more empathy with people like this. And if someone said, well, when I was accusing this group of her, I didn't mean all of them. Well, then you shouldn't have accused all of them. We can do better than this. Is it really so important to tag 10,000 people with a particular label, wouldn't it be better to talk to one particular sinful person and say, hey, I think we might have a problem here. Let me help you through it. And thirdly, let's make sure that this alleged problem that we're trying to pitch in with here, that we're actually being helpful. Talking about something is not necessarily beneficial. I know we were always told by, by parents and counselors and friends or whatever to, to talk things out. Talking is not always the best option. Proverbs chapter 7, verse number 9 says, He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Again, we're not talking about covering up sin so that nobody will know there's sin. What we're talking about is helping people by being quiet about things. Sometimes it's better to quietly address a situation rather than take out an ad in the Sunday paper and, and tell people about it, as it were. We can help people fix a problem and then they can address the problem before anybody finds out about it. It's far better for them and far better for the church if we're able to address these situations privately and get the problem fixed instead of going to the airwaves and telling everybody about our dirty laundry and making our brethren look bad, making the church look bad, frankly, making ourselves look bad because nobody likes to hear gossip. Nobody likes to, to be associated with gossip. Proverbs talks about that too. So when we're making these accusations, we're listening to somebody else's accusations. Let's be careful about this. Let's decide whether these are valid charges, whether they're charges that are worth considering, and even beyond that, whether they're charges that are worth spreading along the way. God will hold us accountable for these things. So let's be accountable. Anyway, that's what I've been reading. This is what I've been hearing. I like to think that preachers are part of the solution rather than part of the problem. I'd like to think that most of my preaching brethren are, are good and noble and hardworking and dedicated to the work, dedicated to their brethren. I know for a fact that's not always the case. I know for a fact that's not always the case with me. I, I will confess I'm not always what I ought to be. I like to think that I do pretty well most of the time. But I have a streak of laziness in me that is a mile wide, and I work at that on a regular basis. There are times, though, when I don't put forth my best effort. My very first sermon that I preached for the church here in Georgetown, Texas, where we now live, if you're watching the video, you're seeing my new home office. This was a work, uh, sermon that I didn't put a lot of work into. I had preached it before. I, I went over it a couple of times. I rehearsed it a little bit, and I went with it. I had a lot of things going on last week, moving out of a house, moving across the country, moving into a new house. It's been kind of a chaotic mess, like moves generally are. And, and I didn't work very hard last week, not on the job at least. That's going to be the exception rather than the rule. I'm, I'm 
pushing through that. I'm trying to be on a regular basis a hardworking preacher because I've seen some indications and I've certainly heard stories about preachers who were not inclined in that direction and it is a disgrace and it is a problem and needs to be fixed. We need to not be examples of laziness preaching brethren. We need to be examples of industry and of ethics and of hard work. The uh, story in 1 Kings chapter 22 gives an example of a, uh, a preacher, if you will, a prophet uh, named uh, Zedekiah, who preaches what he wants to preach so that he can secure his job. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how unusual that was back in that day. There's a man named Micaiah in that same court who was determined to preach the right thing and do it in the name of God. Zedekiah didn't have qualms like that. He figured that Ahab would listen to his message better if he told him what he wanted to hear. In fact, he made these these horns, these bull horns, kind of wandered around the, the palace room there, indicating he's just going to gore the enemies there with these uh, these horns. Quite a spectacle over a message that he says came from God and did not, in fact, come from God. He gets really upset when he's called on this. But Micaiah is like Amos. In Amos chapter 7, verse 14, he talks about how, I'm not the prophet or the son of a prophet. I'm the shepherd and tenor of sycamore figs. Amos is somebody who did what he did because God told him to do it. That's what he means by not the prophet or the son of a prophet. This is not my job, he says. I'm doing this because God told me to do it. And certainly, if it is your job, then you need to take it seriously, that you need to put your put the Lord first. When you're being paid for this work, of course, it's very easy to just do what makes the money flow regularly and consistently, etc. That's not what your job is as a preacher. Preach the word, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 and 3 and 4. Preach the, don't preach the popular thing. They're going to want preachers to preach the, pop, preach the popular thing, to having their ears tickled, as it were. But he says you do the work of an evangelist, and it is work. You have to work hard at this. And part of the work is telling people what they do not want to hear, but what they do need to hear. Uh, put in the hours. Work hard. Work hours in the office and, and outside the office to evangelizing and, and serving the needs of the saints. Uh, this is not a part-time kind of thing. If you want to be paid a full-time salary, you need to do a full-time job. That's a reasonable expectation that the brethren can place on this. I, I don't mean to take sides against my preaching brethren. That's not my point here. I, I, I stand with my brethren. But let's stand in a place where we can defend a, a an honest work for an honest wage. That's what we're expecting out of them. That's what they need to be expecting out of us. Be accountable for the things you're doing. Push yourself. Try to grow. This has been a bit of an obsession with me after 20 or so years of not growing as a, as a preacher. I'd like to think I was growing in my knowledge, growing in my, my understanding of God's Word, but as far as growing as a preacher... I'm not sure I've really done all that much for, for 10 years, 15 years or so. I learned how to do PowerPoint back in 2000, and I thought that was great. And I'd arrived now. I've learned a skill. And in the last few years, I was taking up podcasting, for instance, started writing books, and, and in other ways, try to push myself and become a better Christian, become a more effective leader, a more effective preacher of the gospel. And, and that's fair. 
because I'm always telling the brethren they need to grow. I'm always telling them to develop new skills. I'm always telling them to, to achieve and to find other ways to achieve and to lift others up and to try to be better than they were the day before or the year before. I should do the same thing myself. If I'm going to be a preacher, I need to overcome this laziness and find a way to serve in better and better capacities and serve better and better in those capacities. Laziness won't get it done. Anyway, that's what I've been hearing. If you want to stop listening at this point and go your way, I hope you've found the message instructive, inspiring, and most of all, faithful to God's Word. Please don't forget to like, rate, share, subscribe, and follow. But... If you stick around for a few more minutes, I would like to share with you a way to amuse yourself in a wholesome manner while waiting here in Satan's world, and perhaps pick up a spiritual point or two in the process. This is what I've been playing. So a few months ago, the girls were in the living room with their girlfriends doing girl things, and Tracy and I were trying to give them some space. And so we are holed up in the bedroom. And I said, this is a great opportunity for us to try silver and gold. Silver and Gold is a, a small, which you might call a filler game, a game that just takes a short amount of time. We'd thrown it in with a, a bundle of, of games that we'd bought a while back. And it wasn't going to take very long. It was a good opportunity for us to learn it. So we broke it out. We played it. And it was great. We liked it a lot. In Silver and Gold, what you're doing is basically you are drawing cards that have a certain uh, configuration of two or three or whatever uh, squares and they correspond to squares on grids that you have that you're trying to fill in. And so you take your dry erase marker and you you color in a section that corresponds to the card that's been drawn and you try to fill up these cards. And when you have filled the card up, then you get the points assigned to that card and you get to move on to other cards. And you try to get as many cards as you can and the one with the most points wins. It's very quick, easy, fast moving, easy to understand. It, it It's fun. And we played it, I think, three or four times running that particular uh, evening. And we uh, both agreed, this is a good game. We're going to enjoy this. And we packed it up and we put it on the shelf. And it stayed there until we moved. And now it's on the shelf here in Georgetown. We haven't played it again. And I think I know why. It's because silver and gold does not have anything remarkable that stands out. It's a good game. It's an enjoyable game, a game that I would recommend to people. But it is, in the first place, pretty ugly. Uh, really no artwork at all to speak of. Certainly nothing attractive about the game. And, and I'm rather shallow about that kind of thing. I've mentioned it before in the podcast. I like to play a game that's going to look interesting on the table, that's going to draw my attention, that's going to uh, excite that aspect of my, of my brain while I'm playing. And it's, it's themeless. It, it's supposed to be hurt, hunting for buried treasure. Basically, there's X marks the spot. You're trying to, to complete this grid. When you do, presumably you found the treasure of, of Captain Kidd or whatever. And you get to move on and find some more treasure in someplace else. You could just as easily be making pizzas or selling insurance or exploring the moon. It, it could be anything in this game. There's nothing thematic at all about the game. Again, theme is something that I could, I'm willing to trade away. It's not a, a necessary kind of thing, but I like it. I like to think that I am taken away from my life and put into some kind of interesting uh, scenario. It's, it's a good thing, and this game doesn't have any of that. It's just not a remarkable kind of game at all. We have a lot of games that can be played in 15 or 20 minutes. 
that uh, that we don't have to explain to the girls, that we know we're going to like, that are are easily accessible, that are interesting to play. There's just not any compelling reason to play this particular game. I suspect we probably will play it at some point, but then again, maybe not. And, and this idea of not being especially remarkable, being good enough, as it were, to make it to your collection, but not good enough to play very often, that reminded me, quite frankly, of some of my brethren. We're talking about laziness this week and, and the idea of being okay, being good enough, being not necessarily objectionable. We have a class of brethren in, our, in the body of Christ today that are satisfied with that. And I urge my brethren constantly to not be complacent about that kind of thing, to, to try to do better, to try to get better, instead of simply you know, sitting back and saying, hey, you know, I'm okay where I am. Why should I have to be any better than this? Well, why would we want to be no better than we already are? Wouldn't we always want to be striving for better, to reach forward to that which lies ahead, as Paul says in Philippians, to try to be better versions of ourselves, all the while, of course, trying to be more like Jesus. And our current version of ourselves is not going to get there. We have to do better than that. Let's try to find it in ourselves to, to achieve to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as I'm always referring to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Be better at everything that we do. Be, we were talking about parenting earlier in the podcast. Be better parents. Every one of us, including yours truly, can and should be better. We need to be working on that. We're not going to get better unless we do work on it. Be better at preaching. Be better at having fellowship with our brethren, being better with our friendships, with our work habits, with everything. In a nutshell, being better Christians, being better people, being better servants of God and servants of one another. We should never be satisfied with just being okay. We ought to be the one who people will go to and be gravitated toward and say, this is what a Christian's all about. This is the way I need to be living my life. That person is worthy of value and worthy of, of emulation. And that's what I'm going to do. If people can see Jesus living in me, they can come to see Jesus living in themselves ultimately. And maybe I can help a little bit as they imitate me while I am imitating Christ. Anyway, that's what I've been playing. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe if you have not already. Shares, ratings, comments, and questions are always welcome. Feel free to reach out to me on social media with any questions or suggestions. And watch my YouTube channel and our website, www.halhammonds.com, for articles, sermons, and notifications regarding other content. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.